You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. Jonah chapter 1. I'm going to actually read the whole chapter, uh, verse 1 through verse 17. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare. He went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and he had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God, and perhaps your God will give a thought to us so that we may not perish. And then they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and it fell on Jonah. And then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country, and what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Isn't that an interesting confession from a guy who's running from God? Then the man were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is it that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up, hurl me into the sea, and the sea will quiet down for you. For I know this is all because, or this great tempest has happened because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, and they hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging, and then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Let's pray together. Father, truly, this is a very strange story. And I think the temptation is today as we hear it is to, for those of us who have grown up in church, to maybe even go back to our Sunday school days. And it's just been a story we've heard so many times that sometimes we just take for granted exactly what all has happened here. I pray that right now through your spirit you will make this text alive, explosively alive in our hearts, true to us. And that you will use it to transform us and make us more and more into the men and the women that you have created us to be. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Uh, I want to see a show of hands in here. How many of you are college football fans? We got any college football fans? <laughs> Thank you, Darius. How many are Red Wolf fans like my boy Darius back here? Let's see. Okay, we got a few howls. Darius used to play defensive end for the Red Wolves. And so, true story. Do you think, how easy do you think it would have been to tackle me? And so, um, I'm much more elusive than you think, Darius. And so, uh, how many uh, Razorback fans do we have in here? Do we have any Razorback fans? All right. Uh, okay, looks like it's almost 50-50, kind of. And so, I know we've got some LSU Tiger fans in here as well. Um, we, have some, we have Crimson Tide fans. 
you are dismissed. Um, <laughs> what's that? Oh, yeah, Tennessee fans. Okay, yeah, there you go. We're not doing this all day. We're not calling out your favorite team, okay? It's not the point, not the point of my illustration. It's not miss the forest calls the trees. All right, so... Um, I'm not a big fan of the NFL, but I love college football. I love the atmosphere of college football. I love uh, college game day on Saturday mornings. I love the storylines. I like following and see who's going to get the Heisman Trophy. Uh, I love attending the games. I, I just love watching college football. And if you've watched college football as much as I have, or even half of the amount of I've watched college football, you will know that there's something they implemented several years ago called the Challenge. And the challenge is basically this. The challenge is a point in the game where the head coach of a team can interrupt the flow of the game by calling a timeout and challenging the call that is on the field. For example, um, if the coach thinks that a referee got a bad call, if he thinks he missed it, if he thinks that he's going to send the game in a wrong direction, that it should not be going, the coach will interrupt the game, he'll call a timeout, and he'll challenge. You know, say, okay, referee, you said that my team fumbled on the one-yard line and that it's not a touchdown, but I think it is a touchdown. Therefore, I challenge your call. Go back and review it. And the whole point of the challenge, the whole point of the interruption is it's the coach's attempt to redirect and reroute the outcome of the game for the good of his team. Does that make sense? Here's why I share that. As we come to our story today, we see the God of the Bible is a God of interruptions. I remember growing up, my parents would say things like this to me. Jared, if you ever want to make God laugh, just make plans. And what they meant by that was not that we shouldn't make plans. We shouldn't try to set a schedule, make a budget and stuff like that. But what they meant by that is, Jared, you don't always know what you're doing. You think you know what you're doing, but you don't always know what you're doing. And because God is a good God and because he loves you, there are times you'll be minding your own business, doing your own thing, and God will interrupt your life for the sake of rerouting and redirecting your path for your good and ultimately for his glory. If you've been a Christian for very long, you have some God interruption stories, don't you? Times where you're just minding your own business, doing your own thing, you know. And God, bam, steps in and challenges you. Uh, I shared with you last week my own story of how God interrupted me and how I was basically worshiping a girl and I thought I was going to marry this girl and then she broke up with me and then I moved to Conway and tried to chase after another girl because I thought that's what I needed to be happy. And God, when I'm just minding my own business, interrupts my life. He crowds my space and he saves me. Right? We could go on and on, Brooke and BJ, Zach. I mean, we could just go on and on of all the stories where God has interrupted our life. And here's the great thing. When God interrupts us, it's not for the same reason that we interrupt one another, or the same reason that I interrupt at times my poor wife. Right? She tells me that's one of the areas that I'm, uh, I need the most improvement in. Right? When I interrupt my wife when she's talking, it is because I'm a poor listener. And it's because at times I think what I have to say is more important than what she has to say. Right? Being interrupted by another human being is annoying. It's frustrating, but that's not the same reason God interrupts us. He's not a bad listener. It's not that he just cares more about what he has to say than what you have to say, right? But when God interrupts us, it's because he knows we are heading down a path to destruction. And because he loves you, because he does not want you to waste your life, there are times we will see in Scripture where God will step into your life. He will enforce his will on your will for the purpose of getting you back on track. 
And that's what we see happening right here in the book of Jonah. If you remember from last week, we just covered Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And in chapter, or in verse 2 and 3, God comes to Jonah, this prophet, and he says, Jonah, here's my assignment for you. The people of Nineveh, I've seen their evil. I want you to go, and I want you to preach to them. I want you to call them to repent. Seems like a pretty easy message, a pretty easy assignment for a prophet. But Jonah, because he does not have the heart of God, because he does not have a heart of mercy, because the Ninevites aren't only a ferocious people who are known for skinning their enemies alive, not only because they're enemies to Israel, but because Jonah hates these people and he would rather see them burn in hell than be forgiven, he says, absolutely not, I am not going to go. I mean, there's not even a, a discussion here. Right? Like God hears the command from God, or Jonah hears the command from God, it is crystal clear and there's no argument There's no discussion. There's no debate. Jonah says, God, I hear what you're saying. No. And it'd be easy for us here to come down hard on Jonah and say, what a moron. To say no to God, and yet yet we look at our own lives, and if we can be honest, we say, man, I'm not that much different. I mean, how many of us, if we can just be honest this morning, have read things in the Bible and say, yeah, I know what that says, Probably not going to do it. How many of us have heard preaching and said, you know what, the preacher's probably right, but I'm probably not going to do that either. We are not that different from Jonah. Jonah receives clear instruction from God. He knows what God has called him to do. Jonah, go to Nineveh and call him to repent. Jonah says, no thank you. And he actually, as we talked about last week, has 2,500 miles in the complete opposite direction to the city of Tarshish. And what we discover is because God loves Jonah, because he doesn't want Jonah to waste his life, he pursues him. He interrupts Jonah's life. He challenges him for the purpose of redirecting and rerouting his life. And I want you to notice in verse 4, how does God do this? It says in verse 4 that God hurled a great wind upon the sea. God sends a storm in Jonah's life that is so intense that it says in verse 5, the sailors are terrified. Now I want you to think about, if sailors are scared of a storm... This must be a big storm because sailors, these sailors have obviously seen storms before. But clearly they have never seen a storm quite like this. So they begin to absolutely freak out. And here's what I want you to consider. The reason the sailors are in the middle of a storm is because of Jonah's sin. Hear me carefully. When we sin... That sin cost us something. Sometimes it cost us our reputation. Sometimes it will cost you a marriage. Sometimes it will cost you money. Sometimes it will cost you just time. And the fact that you're going to come to the end of your life and realize you literally spent all of your time building your life on stuff that's going to be in a junkyard. Our sin affects us in negative ways. We know that. But here's what I think we fail to consider. When we sin, it doesn't just affect us as an individual negatively, it affects others negatively. That's what we see happen right here. Guys, the truth is when we sin, we do not sin in a vacuum. Does that make sense? Your sin is never just 
between you and God. Yes, primarily it is between you and God, but it doesn't just impact you, it impacts others. Jonah in this passage is the one who is running from God. But Jonah is not the only one experiencing the consequences of that sin. In fact, we see in here he is literally jeopardizing the lives of all of these other men. And I don't know how many men are on the boat, but every single one of them are afraid this is the end. We're all going to die. And it's all because of Jonah. Listen to me carefully. If you are a part of this church, you need to stop believing the lie that what you do on your own time is nobody else's business. I don't know where the idea came from, but this idea that what I do with my time and my money and my eyes should be no concern to you. I don't know where that idea came from. It might be an American idea, but guys, I'm telling you, it is not a biblical idea. Your sin, it cost you something, and it cost other people something. And that is why, as a church, we take sin very seriously here. When you took that survey, you all said, we are a culture of grace. We are a culture where you can experience forgiveness. You can come as you are. Yes, that is true. We are going to love the sinner here, but we are going to attack sin. And you know why? Because if you keep fooling around with it, it'll kill you. And it will lead others into destruction as well. Jonah is running from God. And God's not going to have it. So God comes after Jonah. And when he comes after him, he hurls a storm upon his life. And at first, this may look like the wrath of God. I do think in this text that God is angry. But I do not think this storm is a result of God's wrath. I actually believe that it is a result of God's mercy. And here's why I believe that. Think about this. If I was God, and thank God I'm not God. Amen? Can you at least amen that? If I was God, and this little peon Jonah, who I created and gave him breath and kept his heart beating, said no to me, you know what I'm doing? I'm sending him running, and yeah, poof, I'm hitting him with lightning, killing him on the spot. I might torture him. I don't know. It depends on what kind of day I was having. But then I would kill him. God don't need Jonah. In the book of Acts chapter 16, it says, God is not served by human hands as if he needs something. Do you realize today, Fellowship Paragold, we could go to dust right now, and God is still going to make a great name for himself. He don't need us. He really does not need us to accomplish his plan. And that's a very good thing. If God is dependent on you and me, we're in trouble, right? So what in the world is going on? God doesn't need Jonah to accomplish his plan in Nineveh. So why is he chasing this little man? Why in the world is he going through all of the trouble for the sake of getting one man to do one mission? That's the thought that I just begin to think through this week. And listen, here's what the Spirit said to me. And this is such... Good news. I need to hear this. If none of, nobody else needs to hear this, working on the sermon this week was good for me just for this exact reason. What I realized this week is the reason God doesn't give up on Jonah is because God is not just committed to his mission. God is also committed to his missionary. There have been times in my life where I've been convinced that yes, God saved me by grace, but now he wants me to get my stuff together and get to work. Because that's why I saved you. 
times in my life where I felt like that basically what God cares more about is not me being with him, but me just doing stuff for him. Anybody else ever been there besides me? Maybe this doesn't... Maybe this isn't relevant for some of you today, but listen, I'm going to say it because this is going to hit some of you. You are not simply a cog in God's will. You are not simply someone that God is using as a means to some other end. Does God care about his mission? Absolutely. But he also cares about the missionary. Does God care about his purposes? Absolutely he cares about his purposes. But he also cares about you as a person. And so here's what that means. Please hear me. I'm telling you this will change our lives if we will believe it. And I'm begging God to help me believe it more in my heart. What that then means, if that is true, is when God gives you a task, and he will give us all a task, God is not just giving you that task so you can accomplish the task. He's giving you the task so the task can accomplish you. I want to say that again. When God gives you a task, he's not just giving it so you can accomplish the task. He's giving it so the task can accomplish you. I'll say it like this. When God gives us hard things to do, we need to realize it's not just because God wants to do great things through us. It's because God wants to do great things in us. I wish I'd have realized that earlier on when I was planting a church. I really thought when I was planting a church that God wanted me to plant this so that we could see more lives change, more disciples being made, more churches being planted, more missional communities being multiplied, all of that. I thank God that we've seen that happen. What I didn't realize, God did not just want to do stuff through me. He wanted to do stuff in me. And he's done that. And he's going to continue to do that. I can't not tell you how much sin in my heart has been confronted as the result of me planting this church. So much pride in my life that I've seen that's been confronted that I've never seen before I planted a church. So much anxiety where I believed the lie that I had to control things and God wasn't in control. So I had to control. I had to manipulate. I had to do this and that. God has confronted that. He has done things in my own heart. Listen, God does not just want to do great things through you. He wants to do great things in you. And the way that happens is when he calls you out to do things and you respond in obedience and you do them. For some of you, what that means today is maybe you need to step up and lead a missional community. Is lead a missional community messy? <laughs> From the two missional community leaders. Who else like, is it messy? I don't know. Of course it's messy. Is lead a missional community hard? Yes, it's hard. But when God calls us to do that, maybe it's that God needs us to experience that mess and experience that difficulty so we become more dependent on Him. And we learn to love people that aren't like us for the very first time. For some of you, it may not mean leading a missional community. For others of you, it, it may mean sharing that your faith with someone at work. It may mean breaking off a relationship. It, it may mean walking across the street and talking to your lost neighbor. It may mean sticking in that marriage, even though your spouse is not loving you the way they should. You say, rather than me being dependent on how they love me, I know the way God's called me to love them. And I realize by walking in obedience, by me taking this task and walking and, and, and living by faith, I know it's not just for their good, but it's for my good and ultimately for God's glory. We have a God who will interrupt our lives and we walk out of step with his way. And that is because we have a God who is not just committed to his mission. He's a God who is committed to his messengers. Is that not great news today?
for anybody other than me, maybe some of you are so much more spiritual than me, it wouldn't take much, but man, I struggle to believe that God, the God of the universe, truly delights in me and desires a personal, intimate relationship with me. And not because of what I do or don't do, but just because of who he is and what he's done for me. Man, I need to be reminded of that more and more. Guys, the truth is, you were not here today by accident. Just think about that. I know we say that all the time. Motivational speakers say that. You, you were here for a purpose. And that purpose, listen to me, was not just to wake up today and do you. You were created for grandeur. You were created, yes, for the mission of God. And when we embrace that mission, when we answer that call, we realize it is for His glory, but it is also for our good. Some of you today, you know there are things that God has called you to that you are not walking in. For some of you today, you truly believe by your actions that you know better how to run your life than the author of life. And therefore, you're going in opposite direction. You have your Tarshish. And I just want to ask you, do you even have any idea why you're running there? Some of you are heading in an opposite direction from where God has called you to. And listen, it breaks my heart because you have no idea what you were missing out on. You have no idea. You truly believe that going the opposite direction is going to give you a more fulfilled and happier life than trusting God. And I'm telling you, you have no idea what you're missing out on. I remember whenever um, I just became a Christian, I started a college ministry because I believe with all of my heart that God had called me to start a college ministry. There's been a few times that God has spoke to me very clearly. It was start a college ministry. It was marry my wife. It was start a church. I mean, it was just not audible, but to my heart, very clear. And I started this college ministry and about four months in. I quit doing it. You know why? Because it was hard. And I didn't get a lot of results. Like three or four college students would show up. Everybody would be like, oh, yeah, we're going to be there. And then that no one would come. And I'd be like, well, this is awful. And there's no point of this. And so I quit doing it. Well, I was working at the Buckle at the time. And um, Ben Neiser, some of you know Ben Neiser, who was over the BCN, the Baptist Collegiate Ministry at ASU. I had told him I would start a college ministry a few months uh, earlier. He walks into the Buckle and he says to me, hey, Jared, how's the college ministry going? And I was like, well, actually, I'm not doing that anymore. And I'll never forget, it's the most loving thing you could have done. He looked right at me and he said, I thought you said God told you to do that. I knew in that moment I was running from God. I needed to stop. I needed to head back in the other direction. So I went, I started the college ministry. By God's grace, he used it in great ways. We saw people come to Christ, people surrender their lives to ministry. Eventually, I got a job at, at First Baptist Church, which allowed me to get a scholarship at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, which allowed me to learn about church planning, which allowed me to come and plant a church in Paragould. What would have happened if I would have just said, no, I'm going to keep running my own way? I think I know what's best for my life. For some of you, you know what God has called you to, and you are not doing it. Please hear me. If you've zoned out and you're just counting the lights and the chandeliers, Pay attention for just one moment, please. If you are walking in disobedience right now, if you are running from God, you know the worst thing God could do to you? It's to let you keep running. The worst thing God could do to you if you were living in sin is nothing at all. To let you 
go on your way with zero interruptions, feeling very, very confident in yourself. In verse 4, Jonah runs from God. And I want you to look at this verse again. It's very interesting, isn't it? In verse 4, it says, But the Lord allowed a great wind. Is that what it says? Am I reading that right? He hurled a great wind. God sent a storm into Jonah's life. In verse 7, it says that these men said, let's cast lots. Let's throw dice and see on whose account this evil has come upon us. And the lots fell on Jonah. Was that an unlucky bounce? Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from God. God caused those lots to fall that way. So Jonah would be busted in his sin. In verse 17, after Jonah is thrown overboard again, what do we see? It says the Lord did what? Did he allow a great fish to come and swallow Jonah? What's the word? The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Are you kidding me? Have you ever tried to train a fish? <laughs> I used to have a fish tank growing up. I never once was foolish enough. And I know I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I never once like, looked at my fish and was like, roll over. You know, like, I knew. Like, that's not going to happen. And yet God causes a fish to come and swallow up Jonah as soon as he falls into the water. What in the world is going on here? Well, Psalm 135, 6 says, The Lord sits in the heavens and he does whatever he wants. God, what can you do? Whatever I want. That's what we see in this passage. He sends a storm into Jonah's life to interrupt him. He causes dice to fall on Jonah, so he's busted in his sin. And then he sends a fish to swallow up Jonah and preserve his life so that he can teach Jonah a lesson. And we'll learn about that in the next week. God doesn't just care about his mission. He cares about his messenger. And when he sees his children running from him, he will pursue them and he will interrupt his life. You know what that means? Listen to me. And this is going to make some of you very uncomfortable this morning. Test everything I say with the word of God, okay? Because I'm a flawed man. I can miss it. And I do sometimes. And I appreciate those of you that come and tell me. Um, I think we give Satan too much credit for God's work sometimes. Down on my back, the enemy's after me. Car broke down. Satan, man, he's coming at me. I didn't get that job, obviously, man. Spiritual warfare, enemy, messed up the boss's mind, let him make the wrong decision. Maybe, or maybe God is trying to interrupt your life, and he's trying to get your attention. Maybe God just might be sending a storm to wake you up. And listen to me, Christian, listen to me very carefully. When God sends a storm into your life, Christian, listen, it is never to pay you back. You know how I know that? Because the Bible says that. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Jesus took your payback. God doesn't send a storm to pay you back. He sends a storm to get you back. 
He sends a storm to bring his children home. God sends storms into our life, not because he is an evil tyrant. God sends storms into our lives because he is a loving father. And like a loving father, when they see their children heading down a wrong path, he says, man, I've got to intervene. I've got to step in and I've got to do something about this. A few weeks ago, my family and I was in St. Louis and we were... uh, Wyatt and I, I got to take Wyatt to catch his very first Cardinals game. It was awesome, man. Like, we, it was a 16. We didn't have a ticket. We just went up to a guy and was like, hey, can we get in? He's like, ah, sure. And so we got in, and then uh, some people left. after the 16, so we got to sit like 12 rows behind the first base dugout. He got a free hat, and then after it was over, he got to run the bases. It was like my greatest moment in Cardinal history for me. And so um, after the game, we were leaving. He had his cotton candy and all that. And we were meeting with Megan and Nora, who wanted to take naps in the hotel rather than go to the game. And so... Um, <laughs> I don't get it, but we, uh, we're, we're heading back to the hotel, and they were doing some construction in downtown St. Louis. It was just this little bitty walkway that we had to walk on, and then there's cars even by us, and my son, who's three, was ticked that we were leaving the stadium, which in some ways I was kind of proud of, but he was upset, and so he's like, I- I'm trying to hold his hand to keep him out of traffic, and he's like pulling on me. I don't want to. He's throwing a fit and all this kind of stuff. He's literally at times pulling towards the traffic. What's the worst thing I could have done? Let him go. The worst thing God could do is let you go. There are things that we chase after that we are so convinced, because we're so wise, aren't we? We're so convinced this is exactly what I need. I know I am right. This is the direction I'm going. And listen, if God would let you chase it, it will kill you. In Hebrews 12, the Bible says the Lord disciplines those that he loves. Like a father who would spank his child, or excuse me, if you don't spank, discipline his child for running out in the street because he's afraid he's going to get hit and wants to remind him this is not the way you need to live. God will discipline those that he loves. He will discipline his children when he sees us chasing after sin. On the flip side of that, and what I think is the scariest passage in all the Bible in Romans chapter 1, Paul tells us that God has a wrathful side and he will reveal his wrath against all unrighteousness. And then Paul goes on to describe for us what God's wrath looks like. And you know what it looks like in Romans chapter 1? When people say to God, Nah, I know what you say, but I'm going to go do my own thing. You know what God's wrath looks like? He doesn't send a storm. He doesn't, not in Romans 1, he doesn't send hellfire and brimstone. You know what he does? Absolutely nothing. He says, okay, I've tried to tell you to quit going that way, and because you are not convinced, I'm just going to let you keep going that way, thinking all is well until eventually you lead yourself into destruction. Now, can we all agree this morning, that's a pretty horrifying thought. And I'll just say this, by the way, if you're sitting here and you're ho-hum about that, you should be the most concerned. I read that this past week, and again, I was like, God, please help me to never walk in this continual path of disobedience, thinking, you know what, this sin's okay. I mean, I'm a pastor, I'm a church planner, I counsel with people all week, so I can just keep on doing this however I want to do it. If you're doing that, and you're okay with that, and you don't feel any sort of tension of, man, like, God, please continue to work in me, God, to continue to discipline me, if you don't feel that tension, then you have great reason to be concerned. The worst thing God can do for runners is let us run unhindered, unchecked, and unabated. Because what that means is, according to Hebrews chapter 12, is there's a good chance you're not a child of God. 
the Lord disciplines those that he loves. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? Here's the good news. There's no reason why that can't change today. Right now and right here. God does not desire for you to perish. God desires for you to repent and to turn and to trust Him. God wants you to experience the life you have been created by Him to experience. And today you can experience that, not by cutting a check to the church, not by serving more, not by trying harder to be better, but you can experience salvation from the Lord. And you know why? Because Jesus Christ is the better Jonah. And what I mean by that is this. Jonah was a man who reluctantly went to Nineveh for the salvation of a city. Jesus Christ joyfully and willfully came to this wicked world for the salvation of every tribe, tongue, and nation. Jesus is the better Jonah because Jonah was thrown overboard to save the lives of a few sailors. Jesus threw himself overboard to save the lives of you and me. And unlike Jonah who was just thrown into... The waves of a sea, Jesus threw himself into the waves of God's wrath. The wrath reserved for runners like you and me. Jesus is a better Jonah, not just because he spent three days in a belly of a well like Jonah who came out alive, but Jesus literally was in a grave for three days and he came out alive. He conquered death for you and for me so that we can be forgiven and freed. And if you sit here, guys, and you're just like, yeah, I know, please, just end the sermon already. Come in for a landing. Should that not be concerning? Guys, this is the greatest news on the planet. I don't know about you, but I never get tired of hearing about my children's birth. I don't ever get tired of people talking about the great things my kids have done. You know why? Because I love my kids. i got a relationship with them. Guys, the gospel should not be old news. It should get sweeter and sweeter. We should cherish it more and more. Maybe for some of you here this morning, you look good on the outside, but on the inside, let's just be honest, guys, your heart is far from God. You know what you need to do today? Stop running. Where are you going? Who told you you need to head wherever it is you're heading? Who told you that's going to end well? Guys, with all the love in my heart, I am trying to be as serious as I can. Stop running. Some of you this morning, you need to become a Christian right now. I don't know why you've been running, but you've been running. It's time to trust Jesus. It's time to trust that he has lived a perfect life you could never live, that he has died a death that you deserve to die for your sin and rose from the dead so that you can stand before God now, holy, blameless, and accepted. For others in here, you claim to be a Christ follower. But through this sermon, God has, through his spirit, convicted you of areas in your life where you're making excuses for why you can't do what you know God's called you to. And I think one of the best excuses is, is, is do we not, religious people, are we not great at putting timelines in our disobedience? You know what I mean by that? Yeah, I'm going to start giving this way when my kids are this age. 
Yeah, I'm going to start doing this whenever I get that job. Yeah, I'm going to start being more involved whenever I'm through this season of my life. Yeah, I'm going to start. Yeah, I'm going to quit looking at that whenever my wife starts doing this. Delayed obedience is disobedience. This morning, my hope is that if God has to do it, and I mean this with love in my heart, and I would say it about my own children, is God will do whatever it takes to wake you up. That he'll send a storm if he has to send a storm. If anybody's here this morning, just ho-hum. I'm good. I'm glad Jared preached this message for that person. But I'm good. But I hope it doesn't come to that. I hope this morning, right now, you feel the conviction, the sweet conviction of the Holy Spirit, the soft whisper, stop running. Trust me. And I hope that you step out in faith and do what it is he's called you to do. Wherever you find yourself this morning, know this, you're not beyond the reach of God. You're not. You've not gone too far. God's grace is sufficient for you. God's grace is sufficient for you. Don't sit here in shame. Don't sit here in guilt. Look to Jesus, the better Jonah, and know that in him you have all the forgiveness and all the life that you are longing for.